I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the BFI Network podcast with me, Matimba Kabalika. At the network, we're all about discovering, developing and funding emerging filmmakers. For this episode, me and producer Marie went on a road trip out of the big smoke to meet writer-director Francis Lee, surrounded by the landscape that inspired his award-winning debut, God's Own Country. As you can hear, we got pretty excited being surrounded by so much nature. I watch Working Girl every week. Oh my god, I love every week. Oh my god. As you know, my Twitter <laughs> my Twitter bio. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I totally you know, and that film that film is a very clever film. It's yeah. very multi led. Yeah. There's always something else. Yeah. Okay. We're here with Francis Lee, the writer director of God's Own Country, and we're in Yorkshire, which is amazing. This view is absolutely incredible. And it's also like the first sunny day of the year. Uh, we've had quite a lot of sunny days in Yorkshire. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> we've, we've had a good run of it over the last few weeks. Oh, so we've just been really unlucky yeah. in, in London. But can you, Francis, can you tell? Can you set the scene of where we are? So I have invited Matimba to my home, which is on the moor above Keithley. And we are sat outside in looking at open countryside and the moors. This is an interview for for me that just we couldn't do in an office or a studio or a cinema. We had to come here for so many reasons. Can you tell us specifically about the relationship that this place has to God's own country? Yeah, so I grew up not very far away from where we're currently sitting um, on the Pennines in a remote area. We didn't have any neighbours and the outside world was my playground as a kid. But I escaped Yorkshire when I was around about 20 to move to London to go to college. But the whole time I could never get this landscape out of my head. So when it came to starting to think about telling stories um, for film, the thing that I had obsessed about for years was to do with landscape and how landscape affects people and relationships and emotions Um, and so I knew that my first film was always going to be always set in Yorkshire and in this very specific world. And you know it's a love story and I guess it's interesting because was it for you was it story before setting or setting before story or was it important that this love story happened in this particular setting. It's really interesting because at the, at the time, every story I was thinking about was all set in Yorkshire. It was all to do with the people of West Yorkshire. Um, 
And that was because that felt like my language and the world I knew the most and the, 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 the place and the people I cared about the most. Um, and so I, I, it's very hard for me to say which came first, whether or not it was the story and characters or whether or not it was the landscape. I think it was a combination, a combination of all of those things. I was obsessed with this, with the idea of this boy who couldn't open up emotionally, couldn't, couldn't be vulnerable enough to love and be loved and had shot down. I was obsessed by the rural world of Yorkshire and these farms that, that were struggling to survive. Um, and, and, and so it kind of all fell into place at the same time, really. Whilst we're talking about process, can you talk a little bit about your writing process and especially because you're writing about a place you know so well where do you where do you begin when I started to write God's Own Country I based it on my dad's farm my dad is a farmer 10 minutes down the road from where we're currently sat and um, I'm fairly pragmatic so I was starting to write a film having had not been to film school having not had access to funding um, or know how to even get funding. So I was very pragmatic about writing a film that I felt I could realise. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll use Dad's Farm. So when I was writing it, I very carefully, geographically thought about the area and all the stage directions and notations were very much based there. And the process for me was that I wrote a lot of that film in Yorkshire but I also wrote quite a lot of it away from Yorkshire. And it was good to have a bit of distance, um, to not be totally immersed in the world myself, to, to have a bit of um, object, ob objectivity about it. Sitting here and looking at this view and stuff, it's like you, it just kind of, it's so intrinsic and so important to, to the film. And in the film, the landscape is so imposing, but the characters don't, don't get lost in it at all and how do you how do you achieve that it was super interesting when we were talking about um how we were going to visually depict the landscape and with my cinematographer joshua james richards and myself we we very quickly realized that we didn't want to see big wide shots mm. we wanted to see the effect the landscape had on the characters so so i think in the film there's only one actual bona fide a landscape shot I think the rest of the time what you see is the characters reacting to the landscape so so you see them in the mud you see the mud on their trousers you see how windy it is you see how cold it is how it rains um, you know so you see how it affects them physically um, and emotionally rather than just seeing and um, speaking of characters and stuff you started your career as an actor yes <laughs> can you talk about how that informed the way you work with the cast because they, they, they both turned out I mean what well, everyone but particularly the two young men turned out incredible performances yeah I'm very proud of them I, I think they did they both both Josh O'Connor and Alex Sekineru did incredible incredible performances um I so, as an actor, I would always approach everything from character, a character point of view, and that made me feel safe. 
to be able to experiment and to be free mm. in front of a camera or an audience. So I was super lucky and started work with both boys three months before the actual prep. And we individually, um, with each one of them, I built the characters with them from scratch. So we, we had a timeline from the moment they were born until the moment we first see them in the film. So in the actual prep, because the farming in God's Own Country is so important and it was so important to me to have it as authentic and truthful as possible, I sent them both out working on farms individually. And they didn't just go up and stand around with their arms folded watching. I sent them to do shifts. So they would go and do eight-hour shifts on these farms and they would do everything that they were that they were asked to do and that we would see them do in the film. So they built walls, they mucked out cows, they did internal examinations of cows, they did birthing of lambs, they did medicating sheep, they did everything. Um, and not only did that then bring a real sense of truth to what they would we would ask them to do in the film but it also brought a real truth to them physically as characters how their bodies felt how tired they felt how cold they felt you know i wanted them to get cold in their bones so they really understood what this world was like i also tried to keep the boys separate um I don't want to give too much away about the film, but they don't, they don't meet at the beginning of the film. So I wanted to try and keep them as separate as I possibly could. So when, when they meet on screen is kind of when they first meet as people, because I knew that would bring an extra kind of dimension and frisson to that relationship as, as actors and as characters. So they lived, they lived separately as we started to shoot. That's really that's really brave though. Was, was there ever a point where you were like, I'm really nervous about putting them, throwing them in? No, I don't think so because um, I shot chronologically and I was very keen to do that on this film because I feel that the relationship in the film, each scene is like a building block. One builds on the other and their relationship builds and develops. And so shooting chronologically really helped that journey for both the boys. I felt very secure that both Josh and Alec not only had put in all the hard work to know who they were as characters, what they wanted, but they were both very um, sensitive as actors. Yeah, those performances are kind of, they're so strong. And let's talk a little bit more about the aesthetic of the film because it's your first feature and you're so well versed in farm life and what it means <laughs> and what it means to be a farmer so how did you go about finding collaborators who really understood what you were trying to achieve because that's obviously a lot to manage but you've you know you're really immersing the actors in in the world and you know it and you you know how did you start approaching people well first of all it's really interesting I think if you ask my dad he would say I know nothing about farming um so um I yeah um, a lot of it was research and talking to my dad. Um, but uh, um, in terms of the look of the film, it was very, very important to me that we had rules in place. I'm, I'm a big fan of rules. And so with the production design and the costume, we, we or I decided that only the only props they could use could come from the farm we were using, my dad's farm, 10 minutes down the road, or the local town where the characters would have had, have access to those shops. Um, everything that they used had to feel like it had been there and used for the purpose that it was intended to, 
intended for. The co with the costumes, um, again, the costume designer could only buy those clothes in shops that the characters had access to. So mainly, apart from Georgi, they came from Keatley Town Centre, which was quite tough. But again, it was very important that, that you know, we were very um, truthful about, about every element of the film. And it's paid off. Think. Uh, what do I think it's paid no, off? No, it has paid off. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm telling you it's paid off. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking now about emerging filmmakers who are listening to this. There's so many people saying, you know, what makes a first feature great? And, and I think this film is a brilliant example of precision in craft. And I wonder if you can talk us through specifically the choices you made when it comes to sound and actually even being out here and since we've been out here hearing all the different sounds is incredible can you talk about how you approached sound because I think that's so interesting yeah so sound to me is is the one of the things that I get very very excited about and um, for me it is as important and sometimes more important than the visuals and so I knew from a very early stage sound on this film um, was going to be integral. And so I worked with a brilliant sound designer called Anna Burtmark, and in production I got her up to Yorkshire and out recording sounds everywhere to build up a bank and a library of sounds we could then call upon. So she went up to the moors and recorded the sounds. She Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. She went down into the town or into you know, the, the house and recorded atmospheres. So, for example, we each character has a very specific wind sound. So when that character, it's very subtle, but whenever that character arrives, Georgi arrives with a, with a wind sound. And whenever Georgi is there, this wind is there. When in the story um, something happens and Georgi isn't there, um, the wind is still there to remind people, to remind the characters in the film that he... That, there's still a presence of him there. I think everybody, obviously everybody makes film differently, but for me, I am, it, for me, it is all about precision and detail and detail on detail. Mm. You know, every, every tiny thing in this film um, I have thought about. Um, there are no accidents. 
I guess I'm just a massive control freak. <laughs> but um, but but no, that... not necessarily. I think everybody's got a different process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I think it's it's your process, and you know, I think all the um, I think the amazing response to the film. Well, I, I mean, I just like to know everything. You know, I like preparation. For me, it's all preparation. Mm. It's all detail, and it's and it keeps digging into that detail. And that's whether or not it's a, a detail about an emotion. So, in terms of a performance, it's about going, okay, that was a good take. Let's dig in deeper. How further can we go? Mm. How more truthful can we be about this? But do you think that the fact that you're so prepared allows you to do that? Yes. Because you're so prepared that when you have a take, where you say, let's dig in. Absolutely, because, um, you know, again, things on film sets tend to go wrong and you can be left with very little time to actually shoot on camera. Um, and what I found was because I was so prepared, because the boys, the two lead actors, were so prepared and because the cinematographer was so prepared and we were all working as a as a carefully choreographed dance, if you like, we could work very, very quickly. Let's talk a little bit about your journey as a filmmaker, I guess, and how you transitioned from being on one side of the camera to the other. Um, how, um, okay. So, as an actor, I think, I think as an actor, I was always fairly unhappy. Um, as an interpretive artist, for want of a better word, um, I had always told stories from being a tiny child. I'd love storytelling, just oral storytelling. Um, and I, lo I love telling stories and I love listening to stories, but I never wrote anything down. I never really had the confidence to write anything down. And I got to the point in my life and, um, where I wasn't, wasn't particularly happy with acting. I wasn't particularly happy in my personal life. Um, and, and, and it was... It, I guess it was feeling like, well, what's the worst that can happen that actually made me sit down and write a story. Um, and that was for a short film that eventually was actually funded by the old UK Film Council, um, but I didn't direct it. And going through that process of writing and not directing taught me a very valuable lesson, which was I couldn't give up my work and I had to direct my own work. Um, and so I wrote another short film and um, uh, got turned down for funding um, and so got a job in a, in a scrapyard and worked for a year so, to save up the money to self-finance and shoot it. And I then shot that film on my dad's farm and that did quite well on the circuit and stuff. Um, and so after that, I started to write God's Own Country. And at the same time as writing God's Own Country, I made another short that did quite well on the circuit. And how did you fund that short? Scrapyard. Amazing. So I you carried two, on working. You, you funded... Tongue twister. You self-funded two shorts. Yes. Um, yes, I did. I love that you didn't take no for an answer. You're like, oh, you're not going to fund me? I'll go and do it myself. I just, I think no does, doesn't mean no. I think no means no for now. And I think that if, every, if people are saying no, and you, you have that fire in your belly just get on and you know make the sacrifice I'm not saying it's easy I made a lot of sacrifices I you know I, I still do um, financial sacrifices um, holiday sacrifices um, relationship sacrifices you know all kinds of things uh, it's, it's not easy 
Um, but if you have that fire and that passion for telling stories, then, then you know, it is possible. That's the best bit of advice ever. And how do you know? Because, you know, we're talking about the fact that you didn't go to film school, you didn't, you know, you're not in these schemes and stuff, and you were, you know, you're doing this on your own. How do you know that your script is getting better? How do you know that your craft is improving? I mean... I was lucky because I, I, had, I had a really good friend who um, is very blunt and honest and who read my scripts and would tell me if they thought they were getting better. Were they a writer or director? No, or, no. no okay. just somebody who loves film and loves storytelling. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, watching, the only way that I've, I've understood how to make a film is just by watching film. Um, and I watch all types of films, any type of film I will watch. It doesn't matter to me if it's a blockbuster or a rom-com or, or um, an art house French classic. You know, I will wa- just keep watching everything and analysing and studying and thinking, am I on that journey with that character? Do I care? Is this a world I'm interested in? Is this a world that's been opened up to me that I knew nothing about before and now I care about it? You know, all of those things I think you, you, can, you can learn from just watching movies. I mean, how did you feel at your world premiere in Sundance? Take us there. I mean, we're in Yorkshire and it's sunny and warm, but take us back to that cold January. <laughs> well, it was, it was a funny ride, really, because I... So, I didn't finish the film until Christmas Eve, and it was pretty full-on until Christmas Eve for two years. And so we, and by that point, I knew that we were premiering at Sundance. That Sundance had seen an early rough cut and had, had made an early selection for it, um, which was amazing. And I was super, super happy. I always wanted the film to premiere at Sundance. So it was all, it was just conti- the work just continued. And so it was, it was, I never really thought about it. I didn't really have time to think about it until that moment. We are turning up in snowy um, Park City in Utah and um, having your photograph taken and all ready to go into this massive cinema that seats lots and lots of people and they're all there to see your premiere. Um, and then you sit through the film for the first time, for me anyway, with an audience. So, so what I was doing at that moment was not really watching the film but listening to the audience. And that's, that's, that makes you very anxious. Um, and then, yeah, what was the feeling like? It was... It was fairly emotional, I would say. I think I was tired. But it was fairly emotional that you, that you had put so much work and energy into this thing. And you had given it so much of your life and, and sacrificed so much of your life for it. Um, that seeing it on a big screen with a big audience on an international circuit um, was quite overwhelming really i was quite i was quite emotional it was i was yeah it was overwhelming and and then obviously you won the award yes director award just amazing <laughs> yeah no that was very funny took a picture of that, <laughs> uh, that, that i won't be invited back <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was super funny because because they award the awards at sundance um i first of all i'm not even being modest i didn't expect to win an award at all you know that that there are exceptional films there and um, and then when they announced um, 
the directing award, I was I was just very shocked. I was very shocked, and yeah. I'm pleased. I think more shocked than anything else. Yeah, and I think that all of these things are, you know, all of these things are obviously nice. But what's really important is it just adds more visibility to the film, and it means that hopefully it will it it will mean the life of the film will be a bit more. More people will have heard about it. More people will go and see it, and that's what's always important to me is the work. Okay, two more final questions before we miss our train back to the big smoke. Even though I'm kind of tempted to purposefully drag this out, so I do miss my train. You're welcome um, to stay. Thank you. Um, ready asked for answers to adopt me. Please respectfully declined. Um, we want to ask about your beard because it's fantastic. <laughs> it's amazing. And what does it take? What does it take? How, how do you mean? To, I mean? to look after it yeah. or to grow Is it? it or? Both. It's I mean, amazing. So I actually grew this beard when I was writing God's Own Country. Because I, I was very disciplined. I like to be very disciplined with how I write. So I typically will start writing at six o'clock in the morning and write until lunchtime. And then I'll have a break and do something else and then come back and do notes. And it, it, in it, at six o'clock in the morning, I didn't want to be shaving or, you know, and then by the time it gets to lunchtime, it felt like, oh, what's the point? And so the beard grew while I was writing God's Own Country. I, I have a barber I trust who shapes it whenever I can be bothered to go. Um, I've often wondered what it would be like if I shaved it off now. Um, yeah. But um, but my boyfriend has told me that if I ever did that, I would be single. <laughs> so um, so I guess that's not happening anytime soon. There's, just, there's no way we could come all this way and not ask about it. It's a thing of great beauty. It's funny, if you go into my kitchen, you'll just see beard hair everywhere. Oh my God. It just molts <laughs> everywhere. I'm surprised you didn't have any in your fish and chips. <laughs> didn't. Um, okay, and then the last thing that we always ask all our guests is, if you were to, we always say, can you throw down a gauntlet, a challenge to new and emerging filmmakers? If you give them one bit of advice, what would it be? Always tell the truth. Don't, don't, don't kid yourself or anyone else by, by not being rigorous and and really get to the heart of something, whatever that is. Amazing. Thank you so much, Francis. Thank you, Matimba. Thanks so much for having us. I just, yeah, it's been amazing. No, it's been, it's been very lovely for you to come see Deep and Dark with Keithley. There's more episodes and lots of content like this on the BFI Network website, including funding, first features, and loads of other interviews. We'd also like to know what you think about this podcast, so why not tweet us at BFI Network? The music you've heard is from Rory Dempsey. Thanks to Francis, producer Marie, and the BFI Network team. For this episode, me and producer Marie went on a road... <laughs> we went on a wall trip. <laughs> when you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.